to sing this morning. I want to uh, join together in reading God's word with you. This passage from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. So read aloud with me. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, and surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand together. Do you believe that this morning? We get to sing to God and praise Him for the truth that His word will endure forever.
forever this morning. Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning and welcome to Central Baptist Church here in Livingston, Texas. We are so excited that every one of you are here uh, worshiping together with us this morning. My name is Austin. I have the privilege of leading in worship each Sunday, and I am excited to be here in the house of the Lord with you. Uh, this morning, if you're a visitor or a guest with us, maybe you've been a couple times, but you haven't chosen to uh, connect in any way, such as uh, uh, filling out the a visitor card or anything like that, we'd love to have you take an opportunity to do that. There's um, some cards in the seat backs in front of you. Um, there's pens available, and you can just fill out some basic information so that we can connect with you a little further throughout the week. Uh, those same cards can also be used if you have any prayer requests, whether that's a, a member or a guest. Anyone is welcome to fill those out and place your prayer requests on there so that the staff and, and our church leadership can uh, be praying for those and connecting with you throughout the week. Um, we would love to be able to support one another as the body of Christ in that way. Also, uh, during the service, we'll have a time of response, and uh, during that time, if you're feeling the Lord leading you to uh, uh, accept Him in salvation or, or make any kind of decision for Him for ministry or, or anything of the sort, and you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have an opportunity later in the service after Pastor's message to come forward and do that. Um, if you have uh, come prepared to bring your tithes and offerings this morning, you can also use the envelopes uh, in the back of the seats in front of you. There's places to drop those as well as the visitor cards in the, uh, uh, near the exits around the worship center as you leave today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's continue to worship him in song. Father, we praise you uh, for the breath that fills our lungs this morning. God, you not only made each and every one in this room, God, but so much more galaxies beyond our comprehension, uh, God, just creativeness that goes beyond human understanding, God, you possess all of that. Lord, so we pray that uh, as we sing your praises this morning, that our hearts would be solely focused on you, knowing that you're the only one who's deserving of it. God, we, we, uh, we truly mean it when we sing about how great you are, God. I pray that, um, that that truth would not be lost on us just because we sang it before, God. You are great and worthy to be praised. Your love does go on forever, and we praise you for that. God, be glorified in this time of worship. Amen.
shouts of acclamation and lead me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Can you see him? Then I shall bow.
That is good singing right there. I like to hear that harmony. Just close your eyes and listen to each of us sing. We're like one big choir in this place today. So aren't you glad to be here this morning? I hope you are. And uh, it is so good to see you this morning. It is Labor Day weekend. So those of you still working, you know, you get a free day, maybe a free day off from school. If you're retired, just another weekend, right? Just another weekend, but it is Labor Day weekend, so it's, uh, it's good to see you here this morning. Um, listen, as we pray and spend time with the Lord this morning, um, I want to invite you to come. Those of you who want to come and, and pray with me here at the front can go ahead and start moving, but here's what I want to do. For those of you who are seated or those of you who are going to remain where you are, I want to encourage you to do something that we do periodically during this time, and that is to break up into groups, okay? And I know that, that might you've not done that before, but I want you to maybe just circle. If you're a couple, you can circle to each other. If you're a family, or if you see someone sitting off by themselves, just motion and, and encourage them to come over. But maybe one person in that group um, is just lead out in prayer. And I want to want us to pray out loud. Feel free to pray out loud for just any particular matter that God may be moving and, uh, and stirring your heart about this morning. So go ahead, move around up in the balcony down below, and let's spend some time, some quality time talking to the Lord. We've been singing to Him, so let's spend some quality time talking to Him as well about matters that matter to Him, matters that relate to each other, and uh, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to move and stir our hearts and move in particular matters we've been giving over to Him. So feel free to move around and just start praying. I'll close this in a moment.
Father, it's good to be here together with you this morning. And Lord, as we have come together on this Sunday morning, um, it is good to be here in your presence, but it's also good to be here with one another. And so thank you, Lord, that no matter where we've been this week, no matter what we've experienced this week, God, we're here uh, to worship the same God who was here a week ago on this Sunday. And Lord, throughout the week, this week, we have had day after day of opportunity to live for you, to live, Lord, representing your name, to representing you, Lord Jesus, in our community, in our schools, in our place of business, on vacation. God, wherever we've been, Lord, we have, we've had privilege of pointing people to your son, Jesus. And you're here today, God, because of what you've done for us. We've been singing about that. To be reminded of that this morning is, is a powerful thing. It's an incredibly encouraging thing. God, we thank you for your blood. It may seem strange to the world and to outsiders to sing about blood, but Lord, we understand that your, your Bible teaches us that Jesus, only because of your blood, are we even here today. And we thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross, your body that was broken on the cross, that leads us to a place where we can corporately worship you, that we can be a part of your body, the body of Christ, your son, father in heaven. And we thank you for making this a reality and this even possible. God, thank you that Lord, somehow, some way, that Lord, you hear all of our voices collectively as we here just chatter around this worship center as we pray and cry out to you and praise you for important things and we pray for you about matters that, that Lord are so important to us. God, we understand and know that you hear every one of our voices. You hear the intent of our hearts. You know, Lord, what we need. God, you also, Lord, put yourself in front of us that we might understand who you are, that we might engage with you, that we might connect with you because this world, Lord, leads us away from you in every turn. But Lord, you bring us back to you. You get our eyes on you, Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. So Lord, thank you for the gift of praying. Thank you for the gift of talking to you. Thank you for the gift of listening to you. Thank you, Lord, that you speak into our life, even through prayer. And God, you lead us and you guide us by way of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you this morning for the forgiveness of sin. But Lord, we understand that we are sinners. We understand that we are broken. And God, we just come to you confessing and repenting of things this morning to you because we know that, Lord, you see into our hearts. You see the things that we've said and done and places that we've been. You understand the attitudes of our hearts when we've taken our eyes and our minds off of you and we've acted out in the flesh. We've spoken out in the flesh. But God, you are not a God who condemns, for we remember that Romans 8 teaches us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we praise you and we rejoice in that truth and that reality this morning, God, as we pray and as we confess and as we repent of sin. You want us to turn away from the things of the world, the things that, Lord, we pursue that, that, Lord, are not of you. You want us to pursue you, so we do pursue you. Put us in the right frame of mind. Put us in the right frame of heart, God, that our hearts would be in tune with your will, that we would listen to you, that we would pursue you, that we would trust you. God, trust you with the things that we don't understand. Trust you with the future that, Lord, seems sometimes uncertain. 
trust you with the past, the things that have happened to us in the past that, Lord, we've tried to forget about or tried to move on from, and yet for some reason our hearts cannot move on from it. God, we want to trust you with the past and leave it in the past. And as we live here in the present, that we would glorify you, that we would honor you. And Lord, as we keep our eyes focused on the future, for Lord, that is where you want us to focus. For God, you're at work in our hearts right now, right in this place. And you're at work in the future of where you want to take us and what you want to do in us. And so Lord, help us to listen to you. Help us to keep our eyes focused on the things that you want us to focus on. God, we thank you for this service. We thank you for, Lord, the opportunity we have to come together this morning. And what we pray now, God, is that you would, Lord, soften our hearts, that our our hearts would be softened to the things that you want to say to us this morning, and then give us the courage to respond to your word. Before we close in prayer, would you just pray for me? Just take a moment privately and just pray for me that, that I would be used by God, that God would just anoint his word, use me as just simply an instrument of his word this morning. God, thank you for the gift of praying. Lord, as we open our Bibles this morning and look at your truth, God, would you open our hearts to receive it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, good morning once again. Good morning once again. Hey, listen, I want you to encourage you to take a Bible. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And this morning we are going to finish our series, our short little series called Church Talks. We're talking this morning about living for eternity, living for eternity. We've been talking about the church. We've looked at various passages over the past month of August about what does God say to us. We've talked about church membership. We've talked about the purpose of the church. We've talked about our mission as we saw last Sunday in the book of Matthew chapter 28. This morning we're going to talk about how our focus and our eyes look not to the things of this world but to the things of, of heaven, of eternity eternal things. We're going to look at a very important passage this morning as we, uh, as we walk through this today. We want to pray that God would open our hearts and minds to the things that he wants us to see from his word. Um, I'm excited because next weekend we're going to start a new book of the Bible. So um, we're going to look in the book of Philippians. We're going to start that book next weekend. We're going to introduce it next Sunday. And throughout the fall, we're going to walk through the book of Philippians. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. That this particular week, take some time, carve some time, and read the entire book of Philippians. It's real short, I promise you. You can do it in just a matter of a few minutes, actually. If you're used to reading, you can just read right through it. But what I encourage you to do is just read through it. Maybe read through it a couple times. Ask the Lord to soften your heart, prepare your heart for what God wants to teach us as a church, as a congregation, but you as an individual. Um, as we start in the book of Philippians. So I'm really looking forward to that. I love the book of Philippians. Um, I listen, open your Bibles, look with me at uh, beginning in verse 1 is where we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to focus this morning, however, on verses 6 through 10. Um, but today we're going to read beginning in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to another church, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. And I want you to, to notice what he says here. Paul says this, For we know that if the tent, that is our bodies, That is, our heavenly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed we, uh, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. 
Not that we would be uncleaned, or unclothed rather, but that we would be rather or further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now look at verse 6. So we are of always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word. We pray that you would use it in our hearts. Speak to us, minister to us, encourage us, convict us. God, speak to us as individuals as to what you want us to know and understand and how to apply to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has a way of directing us to where our real, true home is. Four years ago, this particular weekend, I had an opportunity to go and spend some time with my dad. We went on a road trip, just the two of us. I flew out to Virginia. There was a football game that meant a lot to us over in the state of West Virginia. And so I flew out. Um, I met up with him, and we took off, and we drove across the state of Virginia. We went into West Virginia. We went all the way through the state of West Virginia to West Virginia University, which he really loves. Um, and we got to see a football game there, just the two of us. Uh, on the way through West Virginia, however, we had an opportunity to go to a place where we used to live. My father's still pastoring a church to this day. And, uh, but back then, he was pastoring a different church. It was the first church that he really pastored after leaving seminary, and we left Texas, we went back to the East Coast, and he pastors this church in this very small community in the rural mountains of West Virginia, right in the center of West Virginia. It is not on the beaten path. And so for over 30 years, once we left that community, we had not been back. Uh, I had lots of memories there. My dad had lots of memories. My parents had lots of memories there. A pastor, church that they pastored, people that came to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, he preached many, many sermons there. A church that he had led to build another facility while we were there. All of these kinds of memories that were there. And so now, as we were driving through the state of West Virginia, we had this great idea that we were going to go through that particular community. And we were going to go back. It had been over 30 years since I'd been back in that community and him himself. And so as we came into the community, the two places we wanted to see the most was where we used to live, right, and the church where we used to be. And so we went first and foremost to the house, and there we were standing in the, in the street staring at this house, and I can tell you that there were incredible memories there. I remember as a young boy, that's where I sat in front of a television and I watched the Space Shuttle Challenger explode live on TV. I saw it right there on TV. I was really into that when I was young, space and astronauts and all of that. It was there that I chopped wood on the left side of that house in the evenings because we had a wood-burning stove that heated the whole house. I know that's kind of strange to think about, but that's the way it was in West Virginia. It's the way it is in West Virginia in some places. And so I would chop wood. It would fill up a wood box right there in the garage, and then I would haul the wood in and stack it because that's how we heated the home in the, in the wintertime. It was there in the wintertime, because we got a lot of snow there, that we would actually build, as kids, igloos, 
right there in the front yard, big, massive mountains of snow. And then we would hollow out those, those mountains of snow and we would, they were igloos. And we would go and we would have fun in those igloos. It was there that I remember looking in the backyard, staring in the backyard, remembering forts that I would build with my friends. We would play army in the woods and we would put on, you know, the camouflage jackets and we would run through the woods with guns and plastic guns, okay, and things like that. We'd have a lot of fun. That's what you did back then. And I remember all of those memories, and now I'm looking at a house that, by the, for the most part, has not changed in over 30 years. It was remarkable. At the bottom of the hill where we lived stood a small, very small church that my dad used to pastor, and they had since built another facility. But as we were there at the bottom of the hill, I'm staring at this structure, and I'm remembering what life was like then. It was there that I stood kind of toward the back on a particular Sunday as my dad preached. And after hearing the gospel so many times, I came down at the end of the service and asked my dad to help me give my life to Jesus Christ. It was there in that building. And there we were, standing in the middle of the street, staring at this building that was now a mechanic's garage. And the Lord just reminded me right there in that moment, this is not your home. All of these memories, 30 years removed, you know, the house that we lived in, all of these memories, it was not my home. Standing there and looking at a place where I actually was born again was not my home. God had moved me on. He'd moved my parents on. He'd moved us on. God is a way of reminding us and directing us to where our real and true home is. And I just want to say to us this morning, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, that what God wants you and I to understand is that we walk by faith and not by sight, right? We understand this verse. We, we, we talk about it. We say it openly, and we're going to kind of unpack what that means and what that looks like. But what the Lord wants us to focus on is, yes, in the present and what we're living and how we're living this abundant life that God's promised us and given to us, but he wants us to keep our eyes also on the prize. He wants us to keep our eyes on eternity, because that is what drives us. That is what keeps life into perspective. It's what drives our decision-making. It's what drives how we spend our time, right? It's what drives how we live our lives. It's what drives and helps us understand and have the proper perspective when things don't go right, whether it's in your business or at home, whether you have all of a sudden get that diagnosis of cancer or what have you, or you someone's mean to you at school, right? You have all of these kind of perspectives. Your perspective changes that this is not your home. That God has something bigger and better for you. There is something greater for you. And so we have this dual citizenship that we're going to talk about here this morning. It's amazing how our perspective changes when we realize the truth about something, doesn't it? I think in terms of when it comes to having the proper, Paul, what Paul's doing here in this letter, he's talking about having the proper perspective as a follower of Jesus Christ. That we are to have that kind of proper perspective. Paul's saying, listen, you are helping, he's helping the, the Corinthian church to have this proper perspective on what life is really all about. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have dual citizenship, right? You're a citizen of this nation, yes. We are citizens of this nation as a country, but we are also citizens of heaven itself. And so how do we live that life? Sometimes we, we, we focus so much in, in various directions and it drives us in how we make our decisions. What God wants us to have an understanding of is that we have this dual citizenship 
And everything changes when we give our lives to Christ. I, I think about this when, when before that I give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm pursuing all kinds of interesting goals. You ever notice that? We're pursuing the American dream. We're pursuing retirement. We're pursuing, we're, we're, we're pursuing um, a relationship. We're, we're pursuing um, a money and, and, and accolades. We're pursuing all kinds of things in, my, in our world and in my life. But it's like as though when I give my life to Jesus Christ, then my, my values change. The things that I pursue tend to change in my life. The things that make sense to me and the things that, that I was running after and pursuing in my life all of a sudden now begin to change. Now, that doesn't mean that, that I don't run after good things and important things. But, 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 but it's all in perspective now. And I understand that the, the greater thing that I should be pursuing in my life is the Lord himself is understanding that I pursue Jesus Christ and what he wants for my life, that becomes more important to be in my life. Paul, here in this passage, the first five verses in chapter five, he's talking about this understanding of dual citizenship. He's saying, listen, it's better for me to be in heaven. We all want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, don't you? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you want. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you look at me like I've got three heads. What is he talking about? What do you mean he wants to be with you? He wants to die and go be with God? No, the, the, the point in the, pre, the, the power or the point of what Paul is saying is that we are to be in the presence of God. That's much better. Don't you want to stop wrestling with sin? Don't you want to stop having to, to weep and, and, and cry at funerals when your loved ones, people that you have incredible memories with, pass away and you have to now stand and stare into the casket at a lifeless body? Don't you long not to have to do that anymore? Don't you long to be in the presence of Jesus where no longer is there faith, but now there is sight for eternity? I do. What Paul's saying here is that that's the position, the unique position that the follower of Jesus Christ has. That we go from being focusing on and, and, and running after earthly things to now we want to run after heavenly things, eternal things. We long to be with Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. He's saying this is what the body is. He's describing the body. He says we see this in the body itself, our own physical bodies. Our bodies are wasting away, right? There are things that I can't do now that I could do when I was 20 uh, or 30 even, right? Uh, there are things that I cannot do anymore that I even try to do, but I'll really, really hurt myself, right? We get this and we understand this. We remember when we could do things that we can't do any longer. By the way, that's, that, that's going to be for all of us, right? But it's this perspective that we understand the body is wasting away, the body is getting broken. It's breaking down in our life. We see this. We feel this. We know this. No one has to convince us of this, but that's what Paul is trying to say to us. He's saying we know, in verse 1, that if the tent, that is our body, our heavenly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house that not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's saying your body is wasting away, but but there is this eternal home that God has given to us. He's given us this heavenly body that we're going to get in the future. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about what it's going to be like in the future. And that changes our perspective. I mean, the context of all of this goes back to chapter 4. Look with me in verse 16 of chapter 4. This is what Paul has just said. 
Look at your Bibles. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In the context of all of this is suffering, it's struggle, it's difficult days. Whether it's because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and, and the world is mean to you and, and ugly to you, or it's just suffering that you experience in your life because of the brokenness of this world that we live in. There is this light momentary suffering. It may not seem light and it may not seem momentary, but in the context of what Paul is saying of eternity, it is light. In the context of eternity, it is momentary. It's a few years or a few moments or 10 minutes, but it's light and it's momentary. It may not seem that way, but Paul's saying it's in light of that. The body is wasting away. The body is breaking down, but there is this heavenly body that he wants us to focus on, that God wants us to focus on. There is this future promise that impacts the present now. There is a future promise of what God is doing in the future, what he's going to do in the future that affects your life and my life every day. It affects our days. It affects our, our lives in every way. Paul uses this analogy, or this metaphor rather, of, of a tent. He's saying this, under, he's having this understanding of a tent being that of the body. Look at the text again. Verse 3. If indeed by putting it on may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is normal may be swallowed up by mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Saying, listen, the body is like a tent. And within that tent, we groan. We groan and desire to be with the Lord himself. And what gives us the ability to, to have that kind of groaning in our hearts that we long for? It's the spirit of God that God has deposited into your body, into your mind, into your heart. The spirit of God is the one who connects you with our Lord Jesus Christ. He, the spirit of God is the one who connects you with the Lord himself. It's the one who, he is the one who wrote the very book is in your lap. He is the one who helps you understand what the book says. He's the one who gives you the confidence and the courage and the ability to live out the book that's in your hands. He's the one that gives you this longing, this desire, this purpose of longing to be with God in heaven. It's the spirit of God that God has deposited into our hearts, into our minds, and which is a guarantee. It's a promise. The Spirit of God and the evidence of the Spirit of God living inside of us is the promise that something bigger is going on and what is happening in the future is going to determine how we live in the present, in the here, in the now. So we have this dual citizenship. We may live here and we may live in the now, but we are living for the future. We are living for something that is eternal. So listen, how you live, listen, how you live in the present will have a bearing on where you'll stand and how you'll stand in the future. How you live in the present, which is where Paul's going next, is going to have bearing on where you stand and spend eternity and stand in the future. How you live matters. It matters to God. It should matter to you. How you live matters. It matters to God. And it should and ought to matter to you. 
Paul says in light of this dual citizenship, in light of what God has done, in light of the Spirit of God that's living inside of you, verses 1 through 5, now live this way. This is how we live for eternity. And he's going to break it down in just a few ways. We live life with courage, first and foremost. Write that down. Live your life with courage. Live your life with confidence. Look at verse 6 and then look down at verse 8. He's going to repeat this. I mean, this is what he says again. He says, so we, as a result of everything from verses 1 through 5, as a result of everything that's happened in, verse, in chapter 4, now verse 6, so we are so, we are of always of good courage. Down in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. He's going to repeat it. Whenever something is repeated, you ought to make, mark it down. He wants you to understand, and what God wants us to understand is to, we are to live our lives with confidence. We are to live our lives with incredible courage in our lives. And so... There is this mind in our minds. What God wants us to have is our minds focused on him, focused on his future, his future that he has for us. Yes, there will be difficulties. Yes, there will be struggles. Yes, there will be hard, hard things. In fact, if you look back at the beginning of chapter four in your Bibles, verse two, he says about himself, he says, Paul says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice our cunning, uh, practice cunning or to um, tamper with God's word. But the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves for everyone's conscience in, in the sight of God. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing. The cases, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. If you jump down to verse seven, he's gonna say this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see the perspective that Paul has? He's saying, yeah, these are bad stuff. This is bad stuff. These are moments of, of affliction. These are moments of suffering, but it's not the end. It's not the end. He's going to say, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He had this perspective. And what, here's the thing, and going back to verse 6, what God is going to say to us is this. We are to live, and we are to live life with this confidence and with this courage, because that is the role of the Holy Spirit living in our, in our lives. You know what gives you the confidence and the courage to live the Christian life? It's the evidence of life change in you. When the Spirit of God, who has now moved into your life, transforms your life, that's the evidence of life change. You, you, you might go through a season of suffering in your life. You, you may get that diagnosis of, of cancer or some particular debilitating disease. You may wake up in the morning and, and you hear of someone who has passed away in your life who means really who is dear to you. But there is something internally in your life that gives you hope. Because every, every day, you and I are surrounded by difficult things, difficult words, a world that's broken, a nation that's broken. We see it in creation and hurricanes hitting our coastlines, and we see people suffering, and we see people losing their homes. We see accidents out on the interstate, and we see people who lose their lives in tragic accidents and all of these things all of the time. But what gives you that hope inside of your heart and in your life? It's the Spirit of God that's transformed you and is transforming you. That is the deposit. That is the guarantee 
That's how you can have courage and how you can have confidence in your own everyday life. And because the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you and I can stand firm. In fact, that's what Paul says. Looking back at verse 1, he's going to say this, that we are to never lose heart. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not, what? Lose heart. But he's not done. If you go down to uh, at the beginning of verse 6, he's going to say, it, 6, I'm sorry, 16, he's going to say it this again, so we do not lose heart. And then he's going to say it here in our text. He's going to say not just lose heart, but we are to be, have good courage in verse 6 of chapter 5. And then in verse 8, we are to have courage or confidence again. Life can be lived with courage. Life can be lived with confidence. No matter what lies ahead, we live with this confidence. Confidence that God is doing something and he's going to finish what he has started on the way to something in the future. You may have served in combat if you served our country. I'm always fascinated when I sit with people who have served in combat in our military. When you sit down with a soldier, you sit down with someone who's in combat, the fact of the matter is, yes, they want to come home, they want to get out of combat, but there is this, also this innate desire to finish the job, finish the task. So they don't want to come home just to get out of harm's way. They want to finish what they've started. You sit down with soldiers who served in Afghanistan or Iraq or in other places around the world, what they will tell you is this. D despite the politics, despite all the other things going on around, they have this desire to finish the mission, finish the job, and have that confidence and that courage, not only in their own abilities, but in the people around them. They have this unwavering trust in the people that are around them. They want to serve alongside the people that have bled and have struggled alongside them to finish the task, to finish the job. You know what gives us what gives us courage and confidence to live the Christian life in light of eternity? It's when you simply step out in faith and do the things God wants you to do. Just obey God. And as you continue to obey the Lord, he's giving you confidence. He's giving you courage to continue to do it. I mean, look at this proverb in Proverbs 14. This is what it says. We have that. This is, he says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. We fear the Lord. We respect him. We revere him. We step out in faith and follow him with our heart and with our mind. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then, then your confidence is found in the realization that whether you're on earth or in heaven, you belong to Jesus Christ. So you put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the writer of Hebrews is going to remind us of this when it comes to running our own race of faith, right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, look at this. It says this, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he's going to say this, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, and you run your race of faith. And notice this, that it's not an empty, vain faith. You are casting off and throwing off sin. You cannot follow Jesus Christ without following or without getting rid of the sinful behavior and patterns of your life. You got to cut those things loose and then run with endurance the race that is set before us. The reality of the future controls your present. 
it gives you the courage and the confidence to live for him in light of the fact that the spirit of God now has been deposited in your heart and you are trans, being transformed and being changed on your way to eternity, on your way to heaven if you're a follower of Jesus. So live your life with courage, Paul says. But he's not done. Not only are we to live our life with courage, but on our way and living for eternity involves recognizing this season that you and I find ourselves in. It's not a season of sight. It's a season of faith, isn't it? I mean, look at the verse again in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the, in the body, we are away from the Lord. And here's the parenthetical statement of verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Most people have heard that phrase, haven't they? Well, we walk by faith and not by sight. But we don't think about the context of what, even, what Paul's even talking about in 2 Corinthians. But listen, the understanding this season that you and I find ourselves in, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand that there are two seasons, there are two places in which I find myself. I'm either in a season of faith or I'm in a season of sight. But I want to say to you this morning that when you read verse 7, you read this parenthetical statement about verse 6 and what verse 6 is all about verses 1 through 5 and verses 1 through 5 is all about what Paul's been saying in 2 Corinthians is understanding this, that your faith is not in something that is not tangible or unbelievable. It is something that is believable. It is a confident trust. That's what faith is. A confident trust in God's promises for the future. Everybody's got faith. Everyone does. I don't care if you're an atheist and you say, well, I don't believe in God. Guess what? You have a tremendous amount of faith to believe that there is no God. Every person believes in something. Every person exercises faith. You're all exercising faith right now, sitting on the seats that you're in. You exercised faith when you got into your car this morning and you drove to this church or you rode with someone. You exercise faith. Everyone exercises faith. We all say we want to live by faith. We have faith this, faith that. But listen, what we're talking about here is a confident trust in the Lord himself. That's what we're talking about. We're not saying, man, I, I have faith that my friend's not going to let me down. I, I have faith that, that my family member is going to be there till, you know, for, for, for all of my life. I, I have faith that we're going to live to 60, 70 years of marriage. I have faith that's going to happen. No, no. You hope that's going to happen. But the fact of the matter is, when we re, you and I read verse 7, how you and I live our lives, we live in the realm of faith, but not just this kind of empty hope in God that if he comes through, great. If he doesn't, oh well. We have this confident trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? We have a confident trust that he is at work, that he is at work now, and he has promised us something in the future. That is how we live our life. Oh, there was a day... There was a day when Adam walked with God in the cool of the morning in Genesis. Man, can you imagine that? He understood what the voice of God sounded like. Imagine that. Adam understood what it was like to walk by sight and then by faith. He walked with God in the cool of the morning. He had this intimate relationship with God that was not broken. And then in Genesis 3, it all broke. Creation broke. Relationships broke. Families broke. Just ask his family. So one of his sons rose up out of jealousy and anger and killed as one of his boys. 
The first time the family was broke. The first time we were separated from God. Humanity was separated from God. And that is why our families are the way they are. That's why people are the way they are. All because we were broken. There was a day, though, when Adam walked with God. There was a day when the disciples walked with Jesus. I love the story in John chapter 21. The story of at the end of, of that book, Jesus has suffered, he's died, he's been buried, he's risen from the dead. And what are the disciples doing? It says there's seven of the disciples in John chapter 21. And what are they doing? They're out fishing. They go back doing what they've always done, they know to do, maybe to get their mind off of things, I don't know. Let's go catch some fish. You hear these seven guys in this boat, they're way out there, you know the story. They're way out there, and maybe it's a hazy morning, I don't know. Maybe the sun's just coming up, and all of a sudden, they start to head in, and they see a figure standing on the beach, right? You know the story. They don't know who it is. And as this figure is on on the beach, he yells and he says, put your nets down on the other side. And they put the net down on the other side. And I mean, the fish, it's the fish. It's always the fish with Jesus and his disciples. It's the connection between what their daily life is to their life's work. Remember, Jesus says to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And, and, And God does something miraculous through Jesus and the fish and the fishing with the disciples. And it is something that just clicks. And Peter, you know the story, jumps out of the boat. He gets into the water. He's about to drown. He can't wait to get to shore because they realize it's what? Jesus on the, on the beach. And what's Jesus done? He's got a fire going. He's cooked them breakfast. There's a lot going on in that story. We don't have time to get into, but the point of the matter is this. They understood what it was to walk with Jesus. They also understood what it was to be without him. And when Jesus shows back up on the beach and walks with John, I'm sorry, walks with Peter and restores him right there on that beach and gives him his life's work and life ministry. God does amazing work in the life and the heart of Peter. God does this work. He transforms Peter's mindset and heart. He reminds him that there is something greater than what has happened and that the presence and the power of Jesus himself, the presence of God is at work. Are you ready to meet him? In other words, are you ready right here, right now? If God showed up, if it's over, America's done, the world is done, 401K's done, saving for retirement done, RVing done, school done. Everybody's like, amen over here. Or all the crowd, the students are like, are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ right here, right now? Are you ready to meet him? What are you building in your life? What have you built in your life? Character, reputation, money, homes, career, families, relationships. What are you building? Will it stand when it comes to God? Will it stand the test of the Lord staring at you and evaluating your life? You see, the Lord is perfect. He loves you and I desperately. And the problem in our life has always been sin. He remedies that problem by sending his son Jesus into the world to die the death that you and I deserve, to go to the cross, 
suffer for us. But that's not applied to our lives automatically. You see, you've got to stop running after worldly things, worldly things, and start running after the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to turn your life over to him. And when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, he steps into your life and he begins to change your whole perspective. He begins to show you that there is something greater, something bigger in your life than what you're pursuing. And he puts you on this walk of faith. That for the rest of your life, whether it's a day, whether it's 30 minutes, or whether it's another 50 years, he wants you to live a life of faith on your way to living and seeing Jesus Christ and standing before him. Paul said it this way over in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to see this again show up next week. But he's going to say this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. In other words, Paul's saying is there's something bigger in you, church of Philippi, that he's doing in you that he's going to bring to completion. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you surrender to him and you start to follow him, what God does is he steps into your life and he gives you something greater to see and understand. The light of Jesus Christ opens your eyes. It opens your heart to understand that God is doing something bigger in your life. He's doing something bigger around your life. He's doing something bigger ahead of your life. And he wants you to pursue him to get your eyes on Jesus. Until he completes it, until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that is how we are to live our lives. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for faithful people. He's looking for people of faith people who get their eyes on Jesus and live by faith. How you live matters. It matters to God. It matters. It should matter and ought to matter to you. Paul's not done. What Paul says is this, you live with courage. You live by faith, not by sight. You're in a season of faith. And finally, you purpose and you live your life to please the Lord. If you are living by faith and you live your life by faith and purpose to please the Lord, wake up in the morning with the desire to please him. God, show me and lay out before me what my life is supposed to look like today. I can't see it. I don't understand it. But, but he sets you on a course of finding out what he wants you to do with your life. Look at the text again with me, verse 9 and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What's the aim of your life? Paul says in verse 9. Location's not the issue. Notice that? Whether your life is going well or not is not the issue. We're really good at perspectives. Well, I've got a good, I'm, things are good right now. No, things are bad right now. What Paul's saying is this, it doesn't matter if what your perspective is as to whether things are good or bad. Sometimes the things that are bad in our life actually turn out to be good for us, right? Is what God does is he moves into our lives, he moves into those spaces, and he's molding us and he's shaping us. Sometimes he brings testings into our life, James 1, and he brings testings into our life. And what does God say to us in that context, in that season? Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Well, wait, wait a minute. The world is all saying, and, and, and this is bad. This is really, really bad, God. You don't understand. You don't understand. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? 
Because the testing of your faith will do. Will do what? Yeah, it continues on. God's doing something in your life that the man of God would be complete, lacking in nothing. Perspective is a really funny thing. Perspective changes. Boom, 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 boom. Sometimes we feel like we're doing, that life's good. Sometimes we feel like life's bad. What does Paul say? Whether at home, away from the Lord, or with the Lord, make it your aim to do what? Please the Lord. You honor God with whatever perspective or whatever life you might have. Whatever challenge you might be experiencing. Whatever thing you don't understand, you honor the Lord. You purpose to honor the Lord in your marriage. Maybe you're in a situation where you're a believer and your spouse is not a believer. Your husband is not a Christian. Maybe your husband is at home this morning. Maybe he makes fun of you when you come to church or you come home and you, and, and you want so much to tell him about all the things God did in your heart and your mind, the things that you, you saw in the word of God today or the ways that you were encouraged today and you cannot. He just wants to talk, talks about football season or whatever. Man, the Lord loves you. He knows that season that you're in. You make it your aim to please him in that season, right? So what if you're the only student at school who's a Christian in your classroom? Or, or, or so what if you're a teacher that's trying to get you to do something you're not so, that, that goes against what God's word says? You make it your aim to please the Lord in that setting. We don't diminish the suffering in our life. We don't. We don't diminish cancer. We don't diminish the seasons of pain and struggle and loneliness and depression and discouragement and all of those things. But instead, what we do in the spaces is we get our eyes on Jesus, is our perspective changes. We see that there is someone greater than the life that we find ourselves in, so we make it our aim to please the Lord. I mean, that was what Jesus' ministry was all about, wasn't it? It was pleasing his heavenly father. He was submissive to his heavenly father. Did he want to go to the cross? We know the story. The night before, he begs the father, is there some other way? And yet this is God in the flesh. We see his humanity pouring out there in that garden, and he's pouring out, he's sweating droplets of bloody this, want to go to the cross. Why? Because of the pain, yes. But, but he understands that the sin of the world is going to be upon his shoulders, and there is going to be this separation between Jesus, the son, God the Father, in that space when the Father turns his back and turns his face away from the, on the, of the Son on the cross, he, he's, he's experiencing that agony, but he submits to his heavenly Father. We see it in whatever the Father told the Son to do, he did it to please the, to please the Father. He gives us a model for how we're to live our lives. He helps us understand how we are to live a righteous life. So listen, we are all at a crossroads and what God wants us to do is to get our eyes off of ourselves and to get our eyes on him because we live in the realm of these two worlds. We're living right here in the moment. We're living right here in the week, right here in Polk County in Livingston, Texas. We got all of these things going on in our lives. We've got all of these challenges and these deals, these things that we're dealing with in our life. And yet, we also have this heavenly home. And so we have this crossroads that we find ourselves in. It's actually possible to displease God in that space. So what does God want us to do? What matters is how you live in the present because how you live in the present will impact how you stand and where you stand in the future. I mean, look at verse 10. 
is what he's going to say here is this. And remember, he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to believers here. And yet he says to them in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive that which is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you stand condemned before God, a God who is holy, a God who is perfect, a God who is just. And you stand there with all of your accolades, all of your awards, all of the money that you've earned, all of the, the, the relationships that you've built, this incredible marriage maybe that you had, and all of the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids, and yet you stand before him, and if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you stand before him, and it's all condemned. You're condemned because what matters is how you have related to God who is perfect and holy. But, a father, or but, but someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ who stands before God does not stand before God one day, and we will, as someone who is condemned. We don't stand condemned. Romans 8. But what we will do, there will be no condemnation, but what there will be is an evaluation of our lives. What will burn up what will remain? Just read 1 Corinthians. The things that we build up in our life, do they matter in the kingdom of God? Do they matter to the things of God? Well, what are we investing in? What are we living our life for? How are we spending our money? How are we spending our time? How are we devoting our life? Are we living for eternity? Or are we living for this world? Are we building our kingdom here on earth? Are we building and investing in the kingdom of something that will last for eternity? What are you building? That's the question. What God wants us to do is to get our eyes on one thing, advance the kingdom of God here on earth, live our lives for him. So live with courage, live with faith, and then finally live your life to please God. And if we live in that way, with those in that way, then God will be glorified with our life. Central, this is what God's called us to do. As individuals, this is how we live. We also live that way collectively. Last week was what we do, how we live our lives on mission for him. But let's get our eyes on Jesus. You with me? Let's get our eyes on him, and let's pursue him with our lives this week. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward. They're gonna lead us in a song. What is God saying to you in your life? Maybe God wants you to just... Pledge your allegiance and obedience to him this morning. Maybe God is speaking to you about changing some things in your life. Maybe some priorities in your heart. Maybe some priorities in your life. Why don't you just talk to the Lord right now about those things. Quietly. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Spirit of God to help you to reorient your life. To make the things that matter to him become the priorities. Of course, we always do at the end of every service, give you a chance to give your life to Jesus Christ, give you a chance to join our church. God wants you to be a part of a local church, to be committed to a local church, not just attend long-term. Maybe God is speaking to you about ministry, about going into the ministry, about what that looks like, missions, maybe pastoring, Maybe something else, I don't know. Maybe God's leading you to be baptized. He wants you to get that right with him. I don't know what God is speaking to you about, but I want to spend some time just praying, and then we're going to stand and sing, and we're going to have a time of response, and we're going to stand and sing this song together. 
What God wants you to do is to respond. Respond in a variety of ways, but nonetheless respond to him. Don't just leave this morning and say, oh, sermon over, move on. No, no, we never leave God's word without making a response to him. So talk to him, respond to him, and make that decision right. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you this morning for the time that we've had in your word. God, we pray for you to lead us now and guide us and direct us to make the decisions you want us to make. We love you. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing. You have the courage to come. The Lord leads you. Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. And how vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son.
right, you can be seated this morning, and I want to encourage you today, before we close today, to worship through giving. So let's be faithful to give our tithes and our offerings, and we're going to have a word of prayer for that in a moment as we close our service out. These uh, boxes at the doorways up in the balcony and below are places where you can drop your offerings off, you can drop your tithing off, you can also give online very conveniently through our church website, and I uh, want to encourage you to do that. Um, once in a while, I kind of share with you why we give, and uh, one of those things I want to do this morning very quickly is to just share with you, um, you know, we've had a lot going on in our country in the last few weeks. It seems like we're always having a lot going on in our country, but there are two particular natural disasters um, that we have seen in the last few weeks, one in Hawaii. Um, that took out an entire, for a fire that took out an entire city. And then, of course, if you watch the news in the past week, we had a hurricane that hit Florida just last week, this past week, and did a tremendous amount of damage. Um, <clears throat> the reason I tell you about those two stories that were in the headlines and in the news is Southern Baptists, our collective churches, we're on the ground first and foremost. So when we give on Sunday mornings, a portion of that goes to fund things like disaster relief here in our country. And there were things, there There was incredible amount of outpouring of resources, food, clothing, water, everything that made its way right into Hawaii and then also over in Florida. And so we're on the front lines as a congregation just through our giving um, uh, right there in those two natural disasters. So that's one of the ways in which we can collectively give as we can continue to move around the country in investing in the lives of people. And then when that happens and those, that, those needs are being met, the gospel is shared, people are being prayed with, and people are being pointed to Jesus Christ. So that's the amazing thing about all of that. So let's continue to give our tithes and our offerings uh, so that God uh, continues to use us both here locally and globally, okay? Um, so I want to mention that this morning. Come on up, parrots. I want to introduce you to this couple, and they're coming today to uh, start the process of joining our church. So you welcome them. And um, yeah, they've been attending for some time. And they uh, have decided to join our church. So you welcome them. Um, before you leave here today, if you stop by and just say hello to them, and, um, and we'll go from there, okay? So let's have a word of prayer. Let's all stand. Let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed onto our classes. Father, thank you so much for um, the time that we've had to worship you this morning. Thank you for the, the church, God, that is gathered here at Central. We pray your blessing, God, on all of us. As we go our separate ways, some of us have already come out of class, God. Some of us are going into classes, but we pray your blessing on those. We also pray that, Lord, you would lead us to people this week who need Jesus. Point people to us uh, who need Christ and give us the courage to say uh, and speak up on your behalf to them this week, Lord. We love you. Thank you. We pray your blessing on the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Forever God is strong, forever God.